Thank you, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> Last four chapters, or in these four chapters, uh, I've got 56 pages of notes that we've covered, and we're only through four chapters. And I, I have cut back <laughs> probably about half. There is so much there. Uh, I, te I teach a different style than, than many people. I was born and raised in Lutheran church, and you went to church and didn't take your Bible. They're going to tell you what you're supposed to believe, and you just believed it. And when I got saved, my pastor over there in Spain, he said, I want you to become a Missouri Christian. I said, what in the world are you talking about? He said, what's their motto, their state motto? Anybody know? Show me state. He said, if somebody tells you something, have them show it to you. If they can't show it to you, tell them shut up. Because they're just blowing smoke. They don't know what they're talking about. And so I developed a type of study that I, I don't, I'm not so much worried about whether you know what it means. Because God means what he says, and he says what he means. So I want you to find out, what does he say? And when you, when you find out what he says, then you're going to understand what he means. And next three months, four months, six months, sometime you go back and you read Hebrews, you're going you're gonna to see what we said there. Because it's exactly what was there to start with. Uh, we've just added proof text and, th and things like that. This passage... Uh, Honestly, I, I, could, I could take an hour on each verse. There is so much here, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, I want to go ahead and finish it up, this up tonight. Then Brother Joel will be taking over uh, the next uh, several chapters, and then Pastor will go ahead and finish it on out. Uh, this is going to be interesting to see how all this develops. So turning to Hebrews chapter 4, we'll begin in verse number 14. Verse number 14, the Bible says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When I sent my outline to Shane, uh, he's always wanting the outline and everything and uh, so he can do all these fancy things with him. Uh, and I, I just put uh, the high priest. I waited a while and got a text back said, so? <laughs> I said, that's the, that's the point. You're always supposed to have three points in a poem. Well, I'm not a poet, and I forget the points. The, it, it's all the same point. The great high priest, and that's what we're going to see tonight. Notice in verse number 14, he says, seeing then. He's talking about, he, he's just gone through this and, and, and he's trying to encourage those that are 
discouraged, those that are thinking about going back, those that are wondering should they go ahead and receive Christ, those that he, he's trying to cover them all, but he's trying to encourage those Jews that have become Christians, that have been persecuted and, and sent out all over the world. They scattered. So he said, seeing then what we've talked about before, the rest and all of that, so, so many times he mentioned rest. He comes to this place, he said, understanding the persecution and your discouragement that we have. And you might just read right on past that, that we have. Notice it doesn't say that what he is. It says what we have. We have a great high priest. Now most Americans are... Christians, they just kind of read past the high priest, and, and that's, that's cool. I know what he's talking about and go on. The Jews, when you talk about a high priest, that was, I mean, he was the high muckety-muck. He was, he was the big dog. He was the pope. He was the, over all of Israel, both politically and spiritually. And when they mentioned the high priest, that their ears would, would prick up. But when he says we have a great high priest, they, they see that he's talking about something that is extremely important to them. Now realize they're down. They're, I mean, they're down in the mouth. They're, they're struggling. But he says we have a great high priest, not just an ordinary high priest, but we have a great high priest. What encouragement that is going to be to those that are, that are being discouraged. Uh, greater than all the other high priests, greater than Aaron, greater than all of them all through the history. He, 17 times here in just the book of Hebrews, he mentions the great high priest. So it's very vital that you understand what he's talking about in, in this matter of the high priest. The functions of the high priest, he functioned as a mediator. A mediator between Jehovah God and Israel as a nation. We are not a nation. We are a people. We are a church. And we do not, he deals with people and deals with Israel as a nation. But we look at it in realms of individual people. So as he's coming here, he, he's mediating between Jehovah God and the nation of Israel. He's not just performing sacrifices and rituals like the other priests and the other high priests did. But in that day of atonement, the high priest was the only priest in all of the priests. And there were hundreds and hundreds of priests. He was the only one that one day in the entire year he would take the sacrifice that had been sacrificed on behalf of the nation of Israel, all, all of the people, all the individuals in Israel, and he would bring that, that, that sacrifice, the blood of that sacrifice, and he's going to come in, he comes through the holy place, and then he comes and there's the huge curtain here. 
And as he looks at this curtain, he's going to go on beyond that curtain into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat is, and he is going to offer that blood upon the mercy seat on behalf of all of Israel. What a responsibility. And he better be right with God because if he went through that curtain and wasn't right with God, he is dead. And they would tie rope on them to where when they go in, if he, if he died and didn't come out, they would pull him back through the curtain. They didn't even dare go past that curtain. This was a big deal, the Day of Atonement. It is an amazing thing when you get in and you really study it. The high priest, was bound to a greater, a higher degree of purity, ritual purity, and individual purity than most of the normal priests. They could have no contact with dead bodies. They could have no contact. Even if their parents died, they could not mourn. If you remember when Aaron, when his two children were there and they were offering the, the, false, or the false fire... Uh, starting the, the incense for the, the altar of incense. And because they'd been drinking, God killed both of them, graveyard dead right there in the temple. It's a serious thing when you're serving God. That's why I still shake every time I get in this pulpit. Because it's a serious thing when, you, when God gives you that, that right, that privilege to preach his word. And when, when God killed them, God told Aaron, don't you shed a tear. Don't you mourn. Don't you weep for your kids. Don't touch them. I said, well, that's kind of cruel. No, that's just, that's the rules. That's God's way. Everybody wants pastors to act like the regular congregation people and be buddy-buddy. They're not. Not going to be. Don't expect them to be. Why? They've got a responsibility that you don't understand. This high priest can teach us a lot of things. They, they could not rend their clothes. They always had, a, had kind of a little shawl thing here, a piece of garment. And, and when somebody would die, they would rend the garment, showing the sign of mourning and everything. And to be a high priest, you couldn't do that. You could not mourn. You couldn't rend your garment. And that's why when Jesus is there and they are, they are persecuting him before the crucifixion and the high priest says, when Jesus basically says, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ. And the high priest rent his garment. From that point, there was no high priest. And Jesus became our high priest. He could not marry a widow. He couldn't marry a divorced woman. He couldn't marry a harlot. Only an Israelite virgin. Now watch what this great high priest does. He goes on in, the, in this passage and he says, that great high priest that is passed into the heavens. What he's saying here is this high priest is greater, he is better than Aaron. He didn't just go through the curtain. 
but he went to the very throne of Almighty God. It says, For Christ entered not into the holy places made by hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. What a blessing. He didn't just go into that holy of holies here on the earth that was made by men's hands and and the altar and all of that fabriced by men's hands. He went straight through the curtain to the very throne of Almighty God. And this is where their encouragement and where our encouragement should come from. He did not stop at that earthly tabernacle, the holy place, the holy of holies, the curtains, all of that. He passed through and thus fulfilled the promise to give us rest. The normal high priest could go through and offer the blood and everything and and, and things were fine, but they still come back the next day and offered more sacrifices because they were still sinners and didn't give them rest. But when Jesus passed through into the heavens to the throne of God, he gave us rest. So he says, Jesus, when Jesus is called our high priest, it refers basically to two different priesthoods. You had the, the, the Melchizedek priesthood. Melchizedek had no father, nor mother, no, no history, uh, no end. I mean, I believe with all my heart that Melchizedek was a theophanies. He was a, a, a bodily appearance of Jesus Christ. If you disagree with that, that's fine with me. That's what I believe. And that's why it says he was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So when they're talking about the high priest, the great high priest, Jesus, he's referring to him as that high priesthood of Melchizedek. But also the, the Levitical priesthood, which was Aaron or the Aaronic priesthood. Now understand this, as the, the Melchizedek order, he is ordained as a priest apart from the law. He was before the law. Melchizedek was apart, separated from the law that was given at Mount Sinai. And the Levitical priest, Jesus offered a sacrifice to satisfy the law. So he's a high priest from both sides. You can't just relegate him to a period where there was law when he offered himself for our sins. The Levitical priesthood had to continually offer sacrifices, but Jesus offered one sacrifice for all sin forever, and he sat down. He sat down. Rest. What did God do when he finished the creation, when it was all done? He rested. What did Jesus do when it was finished, when he presented the blood, when he paid for 
and when he obtained redemption for us, he rested. Never forget, he says, Jesus, the Son of God. Never, never forget that fancy word. I'm not big on $10 words, as you probably know. But there is one word that has always just thrilled my soul, and it's called the hyperstatic union. This is, this is the 100% God and 100% man all rolled into one. How God himself, he, he, he was the son of almighty God. Yet he was just as much flesh and blood as you and I. And that's why he can be our great high priest. He reminded them that He's not only our high priest, but he is the very son of God. They're discouraged. They need some encouragement. They need to, something to give them confidence and assurance. And when they know and he identifies Jesus as the son of God, as the great high priest, what encouragement that must have been to those Jews that were suffering at the hands of of the rest of the, uh, of the nation. He goes on and he says, let us hold fast our profession. Do you see him encouraging? Let us hold fast our profession. Hold tightly. He's telling them to hold on. Shall we desert him now? After he has paid the price, after he has fought the battle, after he's won the victory, should we now turn back? And he says, no. Let us hold fast our profession. As the Son of God, our high priest, he offered himself as the blood sacrifice in propitiation for our sin. Propitiation simply means a substitute he took my place on that cross. He took your place. Can you understand that? Back when Jesus was being crucified, when they were just beating him and ripping his flesh to pieces, when they were driving those nails through his hands when he was hanging on that cross, he was thinking about you. Now, I couldn't do that. Because I'm human. But God in his omniscience was thinking about you and how much he loved you and what was going to happen because of all this. He would pay the price to redeem you back to himself. He entered the real holy of holies. He come to the very throne room of God as he approached that mercy seat with his own blood, he offered his spotless blood as payment for your sins and mine. He obtained eternal redemption for us, Hebrews 9, 12 says. And God accepted the payment. See, that's the key. You can offer payment, but if it's not accepted, it does you no good. But God accepted the payment, finished the work. It was a done deal. My debt was paid. Every filthy, rotten sin, every wicked thought, everything that I have ever done 
since I was a gleam in mama's eye, he's forgiven. Every sin that I will commit before I die and go to heaven, he took on the cross. He paid it. My debt is paid in full. Why? Because he is the great high priest. He rested. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The term here is to look up. Keep your focus on him. Hold on to your profession of faith. Go back in your mind. I tell you this over and over, and I do it myself. I go back to that little Sunday school room over in Rota, Spain, and Jim Dunn took the Bible, and we're sitting in them little wicker chairs, and he took the Bible, and he showed me about Jesus Christ. And that day, September 21st, 1975, I put my faith and trust in him and not me. I rested. Rested. It wasn't me any longer. It wasn't what I did and what I could do. I just simply trusted him. And he never lets us down. He never throws us under the bus as many do. Hold fast. Hold on to your profession. Because Jesus' high priestly work is better than Aaron's. His high priestly work is done through a better covenant. It's done in a better sanctuary. It's offered as a better sacrifice. It's based on better promises. Rest in him. In verse number 15 he says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity." infirmities he does not forget us now that he's in heaven people have this well you know out of sight out of mind thing not for Jesus he doesn't forget us he knows exactly where we're at he knows exactly what we're going to he knows the physical nature of being an infant of being a child of being a boy of being a young man of being an adult man His eyes, in Psalms 11, verse 4, his eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. He's always looking at us. He's always living in consideration of me. Think about that. Jesus Christ, as he sits at the right hand of the, of the Father, is living in constant consideration of you. He wants the best for you. He wants to help you. He wants to work with you. He knows everything that you've gone through as a young man or young woman, as a, as a, as a child, as an infant, as a, as a teenager, as an adult, as people that family have turned against him. He knows it all. But he says but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. How can he relate to me? 
the Jews, they're, they're, they're no doubt thinking, how can, how can he relate to what I'm going through? I'm having to run for my life. I'm being persecuted just, just for being a Christian, just for living according to, to what God says. How can he understand that? How can he relate? Because the Bible says he's been through it all. All. Tempted in all points. Every one of them. There's nothing that you and I can go through that he hasn't been through and has not been tempted. He's been through it all. He knew what it's like to be hungry. He knew, knew what it was like to be thirsty and tired and physical torture and mocking and distrust and being maligned and be mistreated and betrayed. And finally, he knows what death's like when they crucified him. Yet, he passed the test. We don't do so well. <laughs> but Jesus passed the test. Yet without sin for us. That's why he did it. That's why he went through all of those different things. That's why he, he suffered so much for us. So that he could, as a high priest, relate to us. So he said in verse 16, Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace. One of the most incredible, gracious invitations in the entire world. Let us, therefore, because of who he is, our great high priest, the very Son of God, He understands what we go through. He is that great high priest. He says, because of that, he says, I want you to come boldly. I, you know, in our prayer life, I've, many people say, well, you know, I don't want to bother him. My problems are just, you know, they're just little and, and think. Look, he says, come boldly. The term is, here is to come facing forward. You don't, you don't come with your head down and, and your hands run down to your legs and, and well, you know, and, and kind of slide in there. He says, I want you to come facing forward like you would your father, your parent. You'd come right up to him. The term here is an openness that comes from lack of fear. The freedom to say all. I have the freedom to go to my heavenly father and just talk. Don't get into all your flowery terminology and all your, the pet phrases and stuff. Just talk to him. That's what he wants. You know, we, we pray the same things all the time. Talk to your father. Come boldly, with confidence, facing straight forward. Father, and then just pour your heart out. Just tell him what you need. Tell him what's on your heart. 
Tell him how things are going. To a lost sinner, that God's throne is a throne of judgment. But to the believer, it's the throne of grace. He meets with us. He talks with us. He strengthens us. He gives us instruction. He said, I want you to come with confidence. Confidence because of the very blood of Christ. The blood that was shed for you and for me, the blood that has been applied to our sins, that robe of his righteousness that we have, we can come with confidence boldly into him because Jesus is my high priest. He's your high priest. He wants you to come straight face to face with him. We have access to the very throne of Almighty God 24-7, 365, and maybe 366 if there's a leap year or something. I don't know. The people in the Old Testament did not have that. If you go back and you watch the, the, the priests, they would bring their petitions and things and, and the, the people could not come into that temple. The people were outside. And the priests were the only ones that could enter in. But not now. God says we have access to the very throne of God. Access to God himself our heavenly father, our great high priest. Anytime, and he said, I want you to come boldly. That's a Christian privilege. We have a privilege greater than any, anyone. You know, you have to make an appointment to see the president if you want to. <laughs> I don't have to make an appointment to see God himself. You stop to think how powerful, how majestic, how wonderful God is. He said, Brian, I want you to come in anytime, anytime, right now. When I was pastor and I told my children and I told the people in our church, anytime, I don't care if we're having a meeting or what, my children can always walk in my office and come up to me and say, Dad, and I'll find out what they need. And that's what we did. Why? They have a privilege that nobody else had. What? They were my children. We have a privilege that even the Old Testament people did not have. Some of the great, great men, they didn't have it. We can go to the very throne of God. We come to the throne through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the, the fact that we, he's given us that opportunity and privilege of prayer. Don't make any difference where you're at, what you're doing. You can, you can just pray anywhere, at any time. And he said, I'm there. I'm listening. You're my child, and I want to help you. Notice why he says this. He says that we may obtain mercy. That we may obtain mercy. Christ is our mercy seat. 
He is where God would meet with men. And we meet God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That propitiation, our mercy seat. We're ridden with guilt. We're, we're, we're ridden with fault. We're filthy. We're undone even as Christians. And yet, he said, I want you to come. Come boldly under the throne of grace that you might find mercy. You say, well, why mercy? Mercy means that I'm guilty. If I'm going to get mercy, it's because I'm wrong. What did the guy say when he started beating on his chest? He said, have mercy on me, God. He said, I'm guilty. You know why people don't pray? They don't think they're guilty. They really don't. Oh, they may say with their mouth, yeah, I know I'm guilty. I, I, I'm a sinner. But they don't go to God and ask for mercy. They don't go to the throne of grace because that's where you find mercy. You have to be guilty to go. And that's why Christians don't pray because we don't really think we're that bad. We really don't think that, boy, now that I'm saved, I mean, we got it wired. We're, we're on the freight train to heaven. But we don't go to God and have that relationship with him. He says, I want you to come boldly to the throne of grace that ye may find mercy. We come because we're weak. First message I ever preached in Africa was my flesh is weak. And I took it from Mark 14, 38, where Jesus is praying with the disciples in the garden and, and he said, pray with me a little while. And he goes away, he comes back and, they, and they're sleeping. And he says, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. You ought to put a sign on your, on your bathroom mirror. So you see it every day. My flesh is weak. We don't want to do that because we think that we are better than we really are. And that's why we don't go to God. We go to God because we are weak. We go to God because we are guilty. And he said, when you come to the throne of grace, he said, you'll find mercy. You come because you're a sinner, even though you're a Christian. We must never forget that until we die, we carry about with us that foolish and treacherous heart of a sinner. We obtain mercy. He said, I'll not punish you. I want to bless you. It's not a throne of judgment. It is a throne of grace. Because once we get mercy... He said, now I want to bless you. I want to bless you. He says, and find grace. Vincent terms it this way. Grace is the free, absolute, loving kindness of God toward men. Sound good? My definition is what we don't have and what we need that only God can supply. He gives it to us. I couldn't supply salvation. He'd give it to me. I, I, I can't do all of the things that, that God wants me to do. I cannot do it 
but I can through his grace. He gives me what I don't have, that what I really need, and he will provide. God's grace is extended to us now. Now, let me tell you something. Think real hard. It's really not that hard if I can think of it. You have right now access to every grace that you need. It's there. It's already been issued. You need grace for teaching? It's there. You need grace for witnessing? It's there. You don't have to all of a sudden, God, give me your grace. I'm going to witness it. No, no, it's already there. The grace for dying, it's there. I don't have to wonder if the grace is going to be there when I get ready to die. It's there. The grace of God has already been issued. All we have to do is receive it. That's why he said, receive not the grace of God in vain. Don't let it be wasted. Accept that grace. Don't say, I can't. Say, God, by your help, I will. There's there's no way that we could have done in Africa what, what God did. Absolutely no way. I'm... Sometimes if I didn't have my wife to tell me what to do, I wouldn't know which way was north. Anything happened in Africa, it had to be God. All I did was accept God's grace to do what he told me to do and just went ahead and did it. And that's it. Notice what he says. He says, I want you to find grace. So I'm going to give you mercy and find grace. Now watch this. To help in time of need. That's very, very important that you get this. To help in time of need. Now listen carefully. You might want to write this down. No help can be expected where there is no cry. No help can be expected where there is no cry. Where there is no cry, there is no necessity felt. You'll you'll chew on that for a couple days. Let me say it again. No help can be expected where there is no cry. Where there is no cry, there is no necessity felt. You know why we don't go to the throne? And why we don't pray? We don't feel it's necessary. We can do it on our own. We don't need his help. We don't need his forgiveness. We don't need his power. We can do it ourselves. We don't feel the necessity, so we don't cry out. 
And because we don't cry out, there's no help. Now think about that. It's either that or it is simply unbelief in God. Now remember, why did they have to die out in the desert? Unbelief. Unbelief. We're fooling ourselves. We say we believe in God and we never go to him. Why? Because we don't believe him. We really don't believe we need him. We really don't believe he's going to do what he said he's going to do. Why do I need to pray? Why, why am I going to pray for him? Uh, you know, God ain't going to do nothing. I sent an email a while back to all my kids, and I mean, pastor included, and all my grandkids, every one of them. I said, I want to know specific prayer requests so that I can start checking them off in your life, knowing exactly how God's working. That message is great, wasn't it, brother? Specific in our prayers. You know why we don't? We don't believe. And if we don't believe, we're not going to cry out. And if we don't cry out, we're not going to receive it. He puts this exhortation here, lest these readers become discouraged and say, well, you know, I just can't go on or, you know, I, I just can't do this. Well, of course we can't. No believer was able to go over the river Jordan and conquer that enemy. But we have a great high priest with mercy and grace to help in time of need. That's not just when something big happens. Yeah, we need him then. But we need him all through the week. We need him when nothing's going on. No problems are happening. Things might be looking good. You still need him. I still need him. I need his grace. My wife needs his grace to live with me. <laughs> A lot. We need more of God than we think we do. Come boldly. Come boldly to that throne. Cry out. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for wisdom. Ask. Ask. James says you have not. Why? Because you ask not. We don't go to the throne. We don't go to our great high priest. He is our high priest. He's right there, right now. He is our high priest. He's not something back in biblical times that was a high priest. He is our great high priest. Now. And he wants us to utilize that privilege. He wants to bless us. He wants to use us so much more than we can imagine. But if we don't cry out, 
don't expect anything. We get what we expect. <laughs> I hope that you and I both will so get serious about our prayer lives, get serious about this matter of a great high priest. What an encouragement that had to be to the Jewish people that were going through all these things, saying, My, we can't go on. Yes, we can because we've got a great high priest. Our, our country looks like it's going down the tubes, but we can go on. Why? Because we got a great high priest that can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities because he's went through them all. And he says, if we will just come boldly to the throne of grace, we'll find mercy and grace to help in the time of need. Do you need? Do you need? We might ask for a prayer request and, and we'll get a few, but most all of us have unspoken prayer requests. Either we don't feel that we can publicly mention them or there's some real burden on our heart and, and we just don't feel that we can share it. Well, that's okay with the crowd, but that ain't okay with God. We must cry out so that he can work on our behalf and get glory from all our circumstances. Father in heaven, Lord, we have a great high priest. You are so wonderful. You are so powerful. Thank you for giving us the word of God that 